Well, good morning, South Potomac. It's wonderful to start the week by honoring the Lord and worship together, singing, making music in our hearts to the Lord, and just adoring Him and setting the week aright. So it's a wonderful service the praise team does for us in leading us. Amen? Amen. Boy, howdy. Any, uh, yeah, that a boy. How, whatever you want to say. It's good. We're in a series called Blessed Life. And uh, I started last week by talking about the fact that most everybody wants to be happy. But you know people who really don't want to be happy, right? Right? Now, have you ever met a person who doesn't want to be blessed? I haven't, but I think they're out there. But have you ever used the phrase, well, bless his heart? (laughs) Have you ever used that phrase? Okay. My mother moved to the south when she got old. When she turned, I think, 100 or something, we said, you have to go to Florida. It's the law. It's what Jerry Seinfeld said, so you have to go there. So she moved to Florida, and she coined that phrase, well, bless his heart, which means he's so stupid he doesn't stand a chance. That's what that means. <laughs> so she'll talk about the landscaper, the guy who cuts her yard, or the guy who you know, does you know, a gate. that She's in a gated community, and... Well, he can't get the gate up when I'm driving. I said, Mom, you need to slow down. Well, bless his heart. That's like, he's an idiot. That's what that means. <laughs> he has no chance of making it in life. And I said, you know, Mom, you can keep doing it, or you can keep buying new gates. Either way, you keep breaking the gates, driving through them, they will eventually take your car away. Well, bless their hearts. <laughs> that would not be a smart thing to do. But you all want to be blessed, right? Everyone wants to be blessed. But there are certain pathways to blessing, I mean, we have to do what's required to be blessed. And when Jesus starts the inaugural sermons, this is the very first one, Matthew chapter 5. And this is the one who positions him. In the Bible, in all of history, the first time anything happens, that first time sets the standard or the pace. And when Jesus starts with the first sermon, he says, blessed, 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 blessed. And by that he means happy, 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 and happy to the point of joy, 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 joy. And this is the path to it. And today, we are looking at building an appetite for God with chapter 5, verse 6. Read it out loud with me, would you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Now, You know what the word blessed means. We've been over that a few times already. It means to be happy to this point of near joy, and it's a happiness no one can take away, and this is the real path to it. So if you're writing an equation, let me just put it this way. Happy are the, and you see where it says hunger and thirst for righteousness? Happy are the hungry, here's the equation, to be holy. That's the memory, that's the hook for you this week. Happy are the hungry to be holy. Why? Because you'll be happy. Why? Because you're hungry to be holy. Why? Because you're happy to be hungry to be holy. This is a happiness no one can take away. And if you look at the rest of that verse, he says, and you will be filled. I spent about an hour this week just looking at the ancient manuscripts, what the word filled means. And you know what it means? It means filled. That's why they pay me the big bucks. But it's different than just filled like filled up. Is your mother speaking of my mother? My mom's on my mind today. I don't know why. But uh, 
there are times when she would say to me, David, I've about had it with, up to here with you. Did your mother ever say that to you? She didn't use the word David, she used your name. I've about had it up to here with you. About had, I've had my fill of this. You heard that phrase? Yeah, that's usually not a good fill, is it? No, 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 no. That's when we say, you need to take a walk. Yeah. This is a different kind of fill. This is a fill that is satisfying fill. That is, in fact, some scholars translate the word fill here as satisfied. So happy are the hungry to be holy because they will be filled in such a way that they're really, really satisfied. I mean, so satisfied, you just can relax. Why? Because you're so happy. Why? Because you're so hungry to be holy. It's so pure of a state to be in, you can't deny it. There's the equation for the day. Now, here it is in a statement now. I will never be satisfied until I have an appetite for the things of God. I'll never be satisfied. So you can fill up on lots of other things in life, but you're never going to be satisfied until you're satisfied with God himself. There's a hunger in our hearts that only God can satisfy. Anybody ever been in a restaurant before? Not many. That's scary. Okay. How many of you are... Uh, you, you, have you ever gone in a restaurant and then they, um, they, they bring bread to your table? and You've not even ordered. Have you ever had that? Yeah. And what do you do? I start eating the bread. I dip it in the olive oil, right? And I, and I, and I say, I, I... And then when I run out of bread, do you know what I say? I say, you know what? We didn't get any bread. This basket's empty. Some guy down there, he just took it. And they, they get us another basket of bread. And you know what happens? You fill up on bread, right? Some of you say, I would never do that. Yeah, you don't because you fill up on chips. You're at a different restaurant. That next down. You ever done that? It's chips and salsa. is great. When your dinner comes, you go, oh, just put it in a box. I can't eat. I'm filled up on chips. Anybody filled up on chips? Oh, yeah. Yeah, how many can eat just one? Don't lie, you're in church. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, those things are addictive. There's small amounts of crack on there, isn't there? <laughs> that probably shouldn't be on the, you know, the tape that goes out in public, but you know what I'm talking about. It is addictive, isn't it? I have a friend from the Midwest. Okay, I, I, you know that I'm a Chicago guy down deep, you know. And so... I have a friend from the Midwest who comes here, and he's heard about this Christian chicken store, but he's never been to one, because he's, he, it's out of Atlanta. I don't want to give you the name, but it, okay, it's Chick-fil-A. I gave you the name, but he sits down, and he goes, I don't understand what the deal is. I said, because you've never had it. He's a fine Christian man. He sits down, and he goes, I can't be that great. I said, well, yeah, yeah, you'll change your mind about that. And I don't know what we got. We got a platter. I don't know if it was a 99-piece platter or something. It was, it was huge. It was a mountain of the little nuggets. That, and and uh, oh, my gosh. It was embarrassing what this guy did. It was just embarrassing. I'll show you the video another time. When he pulled his head out of the, out of the tray, he said, there's got to be crack in this. This is so good. It is so good. You ever filled up on the wrong stuff before? Yeah. You fill up on the appetizer, you fill up on the junk, and then you're never satisfied. You ever filled up on the junk and then you feel guilty, like, oh, I was supposed to start with a vegetable and some protein today, and I didn't, you know. 
And because of that, you feel, then you feel bad. And it's a cycle that cycles down. You say, well, I can't do it. You understand, just like that, that kind of appetite, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, there's a guilt you're going to have, a dissatisfaction in life you're going to have. You're going to bloat yourself out or fill yourself up, and then you're going to feel bloated or empty either way, but you'll never be filled and satisfied, the end of that verse, until you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you get this? For something really so wholesome, so right, that it's so satisfying that you hunger and thirst for it again. So this is the question. What am I really hungry for? Because you've, all of us have gotten up in the night, right, and gone to the fridge. You ever done this? Get up in the night, open the fridge, and you stand there. And then your wife or your husband or your kids, someone comes by and says, uh, what are you doing? I'm looking for something to eat. Now, the fridge is what? It's full of food, right? I mean, there's all kinds of food, but you're just standing there refrigerating the entire kitchen now because you've been standing there so long. There's like, you know, frost on your feet, your little muffies. The door's been open a while, right? And you say, you know, there's nothing to eat, right? Because nothing strikes you, right? You don't know. So then what does the other person ask you? Well, what are you hungry for? And you reply, I don't know. Well, that's why you can't be satisfied. Does that make sense? You've got, and if you want to be a right person who's righteous before God, you have to hunger and thirst for the right thing. You've got to figure out what that is. See? Oh, wow. This is good, isn't it? Glad you got out of bed and came this morning. I am. Because here's the deal. There will be an all-consuming distraction a buffet, if you will, of life. And life will give you all kinds of options, none of which will satisfy. And then when you find yourself driving for those very things, those, you, you, you hunger and thirst for that, then it will change on you. And if nothing else happens, you'll get filled with spiritual junk food, spiritual highs that have no meat, no pure vegetable, what the scriptures call the pure milk of the word, and so because of that, even though it sounds spiritual, and it may even happen in a church or on a radio or somewhere else or in a book, it isn't satisfying. Why? Because it isn't righteous. St. Augustine put it this way, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Wow. So what does this righteousness look like? What is it that I need to be hungering for? The Bible has hundreds of occurrences of righteousness. God is right, his ways are right, his thoughts are right, his actions are right, his intentions are right. Everything about God is right, okay? He is right in everything that he declares, every position he holds, all of his ways are right. There is no, what the Bible calls, no shadow of even turning with him. There's no even doubt to this. So I want to talk to you about that kind of righteousness, and there's two kind of levels. There's what's called positional righteousness and practical. Positional righteousness is when I'm right before God. I'm squared up and right and clean before him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become, do you get this? The righteousness of God. We might actually take on and be declared right. This is a righteous stand. But there's, that's not the only kind of righteousness there is. That's this righteous stand before God when I come to him in faith. But there's another kind that's a practical day by day because if, if you know that he is righteous, you will know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So this is now 
the practice of it. Those who get right with God tend to practice righteousness, First John says. So what is this right, righteous kind of action? And does it really even matter? Does it, can I just get right before God and then do what I want and then go to heaven? Well, the Proverbs seem to say no. Proverbs 12, verse 28. In the way of righteousness, there is life. So there it is. This is the only way to live. But along that path is immortality. This is the only way to die. This is, this is eternity stuff. And God isn't going to force you to get right with him. But facing him with your unrighteousness isn't going to work either. You can distance yourself from God or ignore God or even oppose God. And think about it for a bit. When you do that, it's not going to go well for you. The better option is to simply just humble yourself before God, cling to his righteousness, what Corinthians says, and take on his righteousness, positionally stand in it, and then begin to practice it. So how do I get right with God? How do I get positionally right with God? Number one, you have to admit that you, you aren't right. There's something not right about us. I have to admit my sin. There is no one on the earth who is righteous, Ecclesiastes says. And there is no one, Romans 3 says, there is no one who will be declared righteous. No one does right all the time. In the sight of God, you cannot meet up. You cannot get it right. So don't think, oh, well, but when I stand before God, I'm going to compare myself with others, so it's going to be okay because I'm not as bad as other people. And that works well as long as God is grading on a curve. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? Where the teacher just, okay, you did lousy on the test. I've got to pass a few of you, so here we go. You can't compare yourself with God, to God and compare yourself with others at the same time. God doesn't work that way. He never has worked that way. And when you stand before him, it's just you and God. And by the way, when Romans is written, it says you have to keep the law. No one is declared right by keeping the law because no one can do it completely. No one can keep all of the law. It's that way today. You get pulled over by an officer. You get ticketed for something. You can't say, but yeah, but I obey 16 other laws. And he goes, yeah, that's good. I'm still writing you a ticket for this one. You break a law, you pay the fine. And if you're guilty as charged, you will pay. And you can object all you want. Oh, I, I obey these other ones. Really, I go above and beyond. Honest officer, there are days I actually drive below the speed limit. I should average out, shouldn't it? No, it doesn't. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I haven't even tried that. Don't worry. Some people actually, this is another part of this. Some people, off of Romans 3, they think, well, I can be right before the sight of God because I obey the law. Some people would actually say to me, well, I'm going to go to heaven. I ask them why, and they say, well, because I obey the Ten Commandments. And I say, you do? Wow, all of them? Yeah, I do. Um, and by that, what they mean is, I haven't killed anybody. That's what that really means, okay? Because then I'll ask this question. What are, what are the Ten Commandments? And you know what they say? Well, don't kill anybody. And, um, and then if you kill somebody, don't get caught because they don't know what the Ten Commandments are. So then the next question I ask is, well, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, how do you know you're obeying them all? And they'd say, well, I just know. I know them, but I, I would know them if they came up to me. Okay, good. Do you know where they are in the Bible? 
to which some people have actually said to me, they're in the Bible. Yes, they're in the Bible. <laughs> they're in the Bible. Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, 1958. <laughs> I don't know. They're in the Bible. Can you name them? No. Do you know where they are? Well, there's not a chance you're going to obey them if you can't even find them. By the way, it's Exodus 20. I know some of you right now are going, oh, oh he's going to ask us this later. I'll give you that one right there. Exodus 20. But you can't obey them all. So give up that thought. The point is, I just have to admit that I'm a sinner, admit that I fall short. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Some would say, well, I, I work harder, try harder, I, I'm, I'm better than most. But let's just suppose at the end of the services today, we all load up in buses, drive to Ocean City, Maryland, get out on the eastern shore, get out, and we decide we're all going to swim to Bermuda. Okay? I don't know how far that is. It's about how many hour flight? Three or four hour flight? Yeah, we can, we can do this. It's all about pacing ourselves, right? Stretch a bit. Hop in the water, start swimming east, a little bit south, mostly east. We'll find it, I'm sure. Some of us will make it 100 yards, right? Some of us will make it 200 yards, 300 yards. Some people will make it half a mile. Our best swimmers will make it a mile or two. Nobody will make it to Bermuda. We'll be all picked up in boats because it's not going to happen. And that's, what it, that's how far we fall short in comparison to the holiness of God. You've got to see the gap to this. You've got to see how big the gap is and how far you can actually jump. You can't jump all that far. You can't make it. Even with our best day. So all you can do is exchange your unrighteousness for the righteousness of God and the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we could take on the righteousness that is really God's. Um, So number one, admit it. I I don't have what it takes. I'm a sinner. I fall short. Number two, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me. This is the righteous stand that God puts in front of us. Just to believe him, knowing that I don't measure up, I could never measure up. All of that are acts of of grace that God extends towards us. It's, It's totally unmerited favor of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's eternal life. He extends the gift of eternal life, which is the gift of his son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Messiah is Old Testament word for the appointed one from God. So not only does he send his son, but he said, this is the one. This is the one with whom I am well pleased. This is my son. Believe in him and trust him. And Jesus will come to earth and he will model the perfect life. He'll teach some great messages. He'll perform some miracles. He'll demonstrate compassion. But in the end, Jesus will surprise us all. He'll die on a cross and we'll think it's all over. And then he'll surprise us again because he'll rise from the dead. John 3 puts it this way, for God so loved the world, he loves you, he really does. He so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. This is not going to happen again, people. That whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And all he asks is that you believe in him. And that's humbling because it has so many implications. You say, well, if I really believed in him, that might change the way I live. Yeah, but you'd have the confidence to live because you have a new power within you because you've got Jesus with you now. And he brings with him the Holy Spirit. He brings with you a new kind of appetite for the right things. 
Not the filler in life, but the right things of life. See how this is the cycle? It can, you can only win when you trust Christ. That's why I say not only do you need to admit that you're a sinner and believe him, but then just seal the deal by receiving Christ. Just nail it. Some of you have said, well, I, I think I'm a believer. Make sure. This is not something you want to think about. This is something you want to know for sure about. Receive the righteousness of God by faith, simple faith in Jesus. John 1 puts it this way. Yet to all who receive him, speaking, speaking of Christ the Savior, to those who believe on his name, that you've received him into your life, you're saying, I'm, I am making this decision and I'm making it my own. I receive him myself. I believe in myself. I become the child of God, son, daughter of God. For by grace it's, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is, literally, it is a gift from God that you can just receive. Now, some of you have been close to that for a long time. Some of you have been, in, you know, in, in illustrative terms, you've been kicking the tires of Christianity. You've been looking at Christians, and you've been watching them, and you've been listening to the messages, but you've never really received Christ. Let me tell you, you don't want to, you don't want to take chances with this, and you don't want to take the chance that you think that you think that you did this. You don't remember. You need to go back and check it. And I'm gonna, we're going to take a break right now, and I'm going to ask if, you've, if you're not sure or you've never trusted Christ, this is the day to do that. This is the seat where you're, you're sitting. This is the moment to do this, to seal the deal and know for certain. I know before God, I admit to him, I, am, I can't make it. I believe in Jesus. I receive the Savior. And, and this is the turning point. The Bible will call that conversion or, or, or salvation. This is my day of salvation. Let's bow together for prayer. And I'm going to give you just a moment before God. And if you're a believer in Christ, thank him for this salvation. Thank the Lord for that day and the people and the things that happened that brought you to that point. But for, for some in the room, this is that point. This is that day. This is the opportune time. This is your day of salvation. If you'll simply admit to the Lord, dear God in heaven, I know I am a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I can't make it on my own. But I believe Jesus Christ, and I, I want to trust him with all that's in my heart. I want to receive him as my own savior, not just the savior for the world and other people, but for me. And that's your prayer. Whatever your words are, you make your own words, but in your own heart, open your life to Christ now. God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus. I, I receive him now as my Savior and Lord. Help me now to pursue righteousness, to have a different kind of appetite in life. I want to hunger and thirst for the right stuff. And I know that will make me happy. It'll also make me holy. And I, I can't do this holiness thing on my own. Only you can do that through us. Right as we're seated here this morning, this is a perfect time for us just to pause and thank the Lord for the gift of salvation. We're going to do that through the Lord's table. I'll come back in a little bit and finish the message. But I want us just, you listen to a song, hear it, maybe join in if you like.
but thank the Lord during this song just for your salvation. Uh, Pastor Mike Clark will come lead us to the Lord's table, and then I'll come back, and, and after that time of communion with the Lord, we'll finish the message. So how do I get filled in a satisfied way? How do you get filled in a satisfying kind of way for the long haul of life? How can I be happy because I'm hungry to be holy? How can I feed off of the right thing? You know, doctors will tell you that a loss of appetite is oftentimes a sign of sickness. They'll say, this has probably happened to you, it's happened to me. They'll ask in the midst of a diagnosis, so what are you eating? How often are you eating? What's going on? Because they know an infection, a fever, irritability. They'll ask, what's your appetite like? And what are you feeding on? Let me encourage you with, with just three things, and then we're going to close in prayer. Spiritually, you need to cut the junk food from your life. Some people look around, and they're, they look good, but, but if you look at them, really, they're just living off of junk food. Calories are empty. It's, uh, it's, it's filling them up, but it's never going to satisfy them. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In other words, I am so satisfied in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He feeds my soul. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and refreshes my soul. That's a satisfaction that is filling that will last. This is a guy who's found it, and it's the quench to the thirst the junk food of your life could be passion, it could be position, it could be possession, it could be power, it could be prestige. You know what, you could get so full of yourself that you don't have room for the hunger and, for the hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're hungering and thirsting for your own stuff. So you have to get rid of the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of any kind. And instead, just go back to the basics, like a newborn baby goes back to crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow up in your salvation and you'll taste and you'll see. Here it is, again, with Peter. The Lord really is good. It's a taste and a satisfaction. The Lord really is good. Cutting the spiritual junk food of your life will mean that you occasionally have to take the garbage out in your life. Get rid of the malice and deceit. You may have to go to the curb with some stuff and drop it off. Get rid of the envy and the hypocrisy, the slander. Because if you knew this was sinking your ship, if you knew this was weights to your life, you would drop it. And in all honesty, it is a weight to your life. Instead, ask the Lord, Lord, give me this appetite for pure spiritual milk. 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and keep me from the junk that will be a cheap substitute to be filling, but then not really satisfying. So first of all, cut the junk food. Number two, make knowing God your number one goal in life. God, you are my God, the psalmist put it, Psalm 63. Earnestly I seek you. I go after you long and hard. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. The psalmist knew, uh, my life is in the Lord. Uh, my life apart from him is, is like the dry and parched land. He's not alone, though. It was the 
Apostle Paul, who wrote from a prison cell, and when he said, Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ. In fact, I, I, just, I want to pursue him so much that I identify with him in every way, with the power and the resurrection and participate, even in his sufferings, even though it makes me go through that process of personal death because I'll be alive to something that's really well worth living for. So get rid of the junk food, make this new diet, this pursuit of God as the goal. Now, oftentimes that means we just need to make a step or two. And that's what I'm going to close with today. I'm going to encourage you, you can't make 12 steps and 15 steps and 100 steps. Can't do it. So make definite steps towards obedience with God. And for you, that path will be, obviously, it's, it's always there are certain things that are just good towards wholesomeness, like time in the word of God and time spent in prayer and listening to God. Oftentimes, people who then feed well on the word of God need to do some kind of service or some kind of activity just to get their blood stirring spiritually. Those are all good, healthy things to do. But you need to make a definite step or two towards obedience. Like the deer pants for the streams of water, so my, my soul thirsts for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God, so I can meet with you. The psalmist knew, like this deer who is, it's a predatory kind of woods. The deer knew he would either eat or be eaten. He knew he needed to, to pursue uh, his own uh, safety, and just and the psalmist writes that same thing. Lord, I will be devoured if I don't meet with you, and that requires that I grow in grace. Peter writes it again, Second Peter chapter three. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What are those steps? Well, let me give you a couple, and then we're going to close in prayer. One of the steps is the step of obedience in baptism. Some of you are just this morning trusting Christ for the very first time. The next thing you need to do is go public with your faith. And that's really what baptism is. Some of you have trusted Christ. You did it at six months or a year or two or five years ago. But you've never gone public with your faith. That's a step of obedience. That's pursuing God. It's, it's, it's drawing in close to him. So if you've never been baptized, I'm going to encourage you to do that. We have one happening in, in two weeks from today. Um, Matthew chapter 28 is the basic scripture um, that we use when talking about baptism. Jesus says, when you go and you make disciples, you ma those are followers of Jesus, you baptize those. So there are some basic questions. What is it? It's, it's an outward demonstration of the inward change of heart. So when should a person be baptized? Well, it should be right when, after they've trusted Christ, when you're making a disciple. This is their decision. So if you're a follower of Christ, that's the next natural thing to do. Where does it take place? It happens in water. Scripture tells us they went down into water, came up out of water. And so why should you be baptized? Well, you should be baptized because Jesus told you to be baptized. He tells all of us to. So if you've never made that step of obedience before, that's a great step forward. You're saying, well, I, do I need to go to baptism class? You just did right there. That was it. Pretty good, huh? Uh, I, I tell you what I'm going to do is at the close of the service this morning, I'm going to stay right up here, and I'll give you the notes to the baptism class. And I'll give you all the orientation you need. We can do that in about 10 minutes, okay? If you have a question, you can stay late. That's okay. I'll meet you right at the, at the front here. I'm going to encourage you to just step to the front. I'll give you the forms. And in two weeks, you plan to make the step. Some of you have said, you know, 
The last time you did baptism, I said, next time I'm going to do that. And the time before that, when you did baptism, I said to myself, the next time you do that, I'm going to do that. And then the next time it, it happened, it, you said, next time that happens, I'm going to do that. You know what two weeks from today is? It's the next time. That's your day to go public with your faith. And you say, well, I don't want to get my hair wet. Ask yourself, is that really a big issue? People get their hair wet all the time. Jesus shed his blood. He just wants you to go public, that's all. And if you'll make that step of obedience, you know what's going to happen? That will be a step the right direction for you to hunger and thirst for the right things. And it's a step of obedience. You say, I've got a little bit of victory. I have a little bit of success. Now I'm going to pursue the Lord in some other areas as well. Okay? So just stop at the front. Uh, there's another thing you could do to really grow in your faith and pursue righteousness. At 6 o'clock tonight, there's a, it's called Class 201, and it's Growing in My Faith class. And it, it really, in 90 minutes, we go through seven habits of Christians, like spending time in God's Word, or learning uh, how to study the Bible, or just how to pray, how to listen to God, how to talk to God, how to think right thoughts. Okay? The Bible actually tells us how to do that. If, and you're saying, well... I don't need to learn how to study the Bible. I'll just come on Sunday and you'll feed me. I'll tell you what you do. Go to any buffet in town today, eat all you want, and then don't eat again until next Sunday noon. See how that works for you. Okay? All right? Because if you're like me, you're going to get hungry again. So you need to be able to self-feed. Okay? It's cute with babies. Open your mouth. Here comes the airplane, but you know, five-year-old, not so cute, 10-year-old, downright annoying after a while. You need to learn to self-feed. 201 will help you do that, six o'clock tonight back here. You don't need to sign up or do anything, just walk in the building and go to the class. We'll have notes for you. It'll be a great thing. Well, what's the bigger point? It's this. Blessed are, the, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? they will be so satisfied, they'll be so filled, because happy are the hungry who are holy. And, and I will never be satisfied, never be satisfied, until I have an appetite for the things of God. Everything else will be a cheap substitute. Everything else will be a filler in life. Everything else will get me off track. Nothing will really satisfy until I have the right appetite for the things of God. Amen? Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, that's our pursuit, is that we would run hard after you and love on you and, and draw in so close. Our hearts would pant. We would run towards you and like the deer pants for the water, so our soul would long after you. So we would be people who would not just take the, the milk of the word, but grow to take the meat, and that we would grow up in the Lord and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. God, may we find our happiness because we have a hunger to be holy. We pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. The church says amen. amen.
Amen. Amen.